You are listening to More Human, the show where we share the stories that encourage leaders to make their businesses and organizations more human. I'm your host, Jeremy Newlick. From the time that we're little, we're told fairy tales. Most of us never grow out of this phase. We just move on to more adult versions of fairy tales, like Game of Thrones. These stories have mythical creatures, dragons, giants, fairies, wizards. And most importantly, they have heroes, a person who hears the call of adventure and who is changed by a journey into a new world. And it turns out that human beings for millennia have had these kinds of stories. The mythologist Joseph Campbell studied cultures reaching back thousands of years and found a common arc to all these stories, and he calls it a hero's journey. A key part of this journey is passing into the darkness. If you're a fan of the original Star Wars series, this would be The Empire Strikes Back. Inside of these timeless myths about transformation, there's always a time in the dark. The hero is shaken to his or her core. So far, in our story of Shane Perrin, we've been in the darkness many times over. And if you listen to part one of our story, and by the way, if you haven't listened to part one, stop right now and back up one episode. But again, if you have listened, you know Shane's mission. Now, he's been brutalizing his body, working out from before dawn and into the night to start a movement, a stand-up paddling movement. And his discipline and drive, they've paid off. He started a business, found his people. They've joined in with him. But this darkness that Shane is about to face, which you're going to hear about in this episode, is something that's much bigger, much more insidious than anything he could have ever seen coming. And if we were in one of those classic fairy tales, this would be the moment right before the castle of the Good King is stormed by an enemy force, a secret enemy force. And when we last left Shane, it was 2014. He had wrapped up his Everglades challenge, plus another 100 miles to Key West. And of course, being Shane... He was hungry for his next challenge. Going in the fall of 2014. So I'm like, yeah, that 750 mile race goes from Port Townsend, Washington to Ketchikan, Alaska. It's like the, you know, the, uh, the Florida race where there's no course. You just go. There's a couple checkpoints here and there, but it's 750 miles. You got, what they say, 30 days to finish or so. Um, and there literally is no help in the dynamic change. Now I'm in 40 degree water. Um, there's not a lot of places you can stop along, you know, so logistically, like I go to the organizer and say, Hey, this is what I've done. This is, you know, can I join, can I do this race? And, and that was a month long back and forth of kind of justifying, okay, well, if you're dumb enough to try it, sure. You know, and like it was, it was your first year race. So they really didn't have any bearing of what's possible. And, um, there's a $10,000 first place prize. And I'm like, eh, dude, I'm not worried about money. I'm just being alive at the end of it. That's what I'm looking for. Just to give you a little more background, Shane is talking about the Race to Alaska. It's aptly named. Here's how they describe it on their website. No motor, no support, all the way to Alaska. The physical endurance, saltwater know-how, and bulldog tenacity to navigate the 750 cold water miles from Port Townsend, Washington, to Ketchikan, Alaska. Now, if Shane could finish this race, it would really set him apart, and it would take the visibility of stand-up paddling to the next level. But what he realizes is that what got him in shape to win the Everglades Challenge was not enough. So he begins to train even harder. He sacrifices time he would normally spend with others to lock himself away 
up before dawn with P90X, working as a lumberjack all day, coming home, working out again for another couple hours. And he also works hard to get sponsorships to offset the cost of the adventure. And the gear begins to arrive in the mail. Things are getting exciting. Race day is around the corner. Shane is ready. But just three days before he's set to leave for Washington, something happens. He heads off to work to clear a wooded area because, well, that's what lumberjacks do. Uh, out in, at Principia College. We're doing this. Okay. You know, I'm working on a hillside. It's wet. Um, and so this is, when is this timeline? This is in May. This is mid end of May. So I fell the tree instead of felling it downhill. I fell it across because if you go downhill, the tree falls and it slides all the way down and then you got to cable it out later on. It's a big pain. So when I felled it, I let it, you know, I cut my notch and I do a boring back, cut it out and let it go. I grab my stuff. I climb uphill. I'm starting to get out of the way, slip and fall, come all the way back down to where the tree is I just cut, which it isn't always bad because a tree will hit and roll a little bit downhill generally. It landed on a tree that was under brush, so essentially formed an X. And then the top of the tree went down. The base of the tree came up, but uphill as it rotated. And so when I fell, I stood up, kind of lost my bearing, and I'm facing a tree coming right at me. That's, you know, it's like two and a half foot diameter. It's a big tree. And I turn just at the last second. Instead of coming dead on, it catches the side of my face and my helmet, my ear protection, and hits me so hard that I go back and my feet come up over my head. So Shane is dazed. He can taste blood. And he knows it's dripping from his face. And when he finally gets his bearings, he tries to call for an ambulance. But the ambulance can't figure out how to get back into the woods. It's just too treacherous and too unclear. And Shane's directions aren't complete. And in a fog, and with hardly any vision, Shane calls his friend to pick him up. He stumbles into an area where he can be seen and taken to the hospital. So medically, um, you know, severe concussion, TBI, traumatic brain injury, and with those, they, you, know, you don't know what extent. The head's just a whole different thing that you just can't quantify. Like if you get hit in the ribs, okay, you got broken ribs, you got a bruised, whatever. Um, with the head, you don't know. So we don't know at this point, like, am I going to be medically challenged for the rest of my life? What's happening? And I feel pretty normal, but all the adrenaline's running, everything's going. So discharge from the hospital, okay, MRI, everything looks good. Just go home, you're going to be off work. And but you didn't break anything else. You no, didn't. no, nothing. So you just um, got, and you I got smacked away. in the head and it knocked you off your feet. Yeah. And like feet up over my head. Right, just completely and knocked you back. Just bruised my cheekbone um, and mangled my nose a bit, um, but nothing broken. The, the ear protection on the helmet took a lot of the hit, and then just when it came across my cheek, it was a secondary hit. And so somehow nothing was broken. And now I'm home the next morning. I wake up and I got hit. It's like getting hit by a truck. Everything's just, my body is destroyed. Like I just, I can't move. Uh, and no pain medications at the time. They're like they didn't think, hey, you may need this. And so I'm like, okay, I got to see some doctors at this point. You know, so I, now like the head injury is severe headaches. I can't do anything. I can't scratch my butt without getting a headache. I'm living on Tylenol. I just, I'm laying around the house. It, quality of life just diminishes. I'm like, 
and I'm thinking I'm still going to make my flight and do this race in this in this three days of like okay I'm going to be able to make it like okay I'll get some pain meds or something like for some reason rationalizing tougher than this I can I get I'm taking some hits in life I can make it through and see the doctor and he's like you know basically I see my my sports medicine doctor and he's like you can do the race I'm okay with that 100% you will die like you're you're not going to be thinking right you're going to fall in the water you're going to get hypothermic your brain's going to swell you it's all these things that can happen and like you can do it you're welcome to but death is certain I'm like okay the medical professional I think I'm going to listen to this guy and I concede to all the stuff I've been working for is not going to happen oh. not going to the race what happens so, like to you at that point what did you think I just what's the level of disappointment I guess it's you know? it's rough because now I'm packaging sponsor stuff up like thousand dollar dry suit and mailing it back to them all the stuff that I was sponsored with them and every time I do that I'm like oh, it's, just, it's like getting stabbed with a knife right in the gut every time and I'm like here I'm in physical pain now emotionally I'm getting my butt kicked because I'm like oh, everything's being torn away like I'm just losing everything I was working six months for. And now, like I'm just in a sense broken, where I'm like I don't have a path. I don't, I don't have a job um, because I'm on work comp, which turns to an interesting thing. About eight weeks uh, in, my employer fires me while I'm on work comp, and so now it's like even a darker road for me. I mean, Shane could deal with the head injury. I mean, he thought he was still going to race. But the pain of not racing, the defeat. I mean, just think about the life rituals Shane had established for himself. The long days and nights in the basement. All of his aspiration. Here was the guy who was using his body to change the perception of a sport. And now that's not going to happen. He's injured. He's unemployed. It's crushing. That time in recovery, is the worst thing I could have done was just sit there. Come sit on the couch in pain, headaches, nothing's great. You know, I see the kids at night when they come home and then the kids go to sleep, oh, it goes to sleep and I decide to have some drinks. Sitting there watching TV, all right. So then next thing I know, this turns into two months of waiting till my wife goes to sleep, going in the basement and drinking it up. Mm -hmm. And then, and that's the only thing I look forward to. Like I'm not working, not actively finding a job, telling my wife, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find something. Um, somehow thinking I'm going to find an outdoor job when I'm, like, beat up. And so it becomes this cycle of depression uh, only fueled by a highlight of alcohol. Medicating with the alcohol yeah. and then... Yeah, self-medicating and then... And then the medication leads to yeah. further depression. Yeah, the depression. So it's just this vicious cycle I'm in and looking forward to all day. Oh, I can't wait to drink. I'm watching Netflix. And so for two months straight, I'm drinking five to seven days a week in my basement. So that darkness... I mentioned at the top of the show, this is that darkness. It's not paddling through freezing water at night. It's not having your most prized possessions stolen. It's not even a brutalizing head injury. Shane's darkness centers in his own mind. And now, it's taking over. I'm on this path just that's going bad. And it's, it's, I can't prevent, I can't stop it. I don't know what to do. There's no good. Um, and so it came to the day after Christmas uh, where at my mother-in-law's and I'm sitting there, everyone's asleep and I'm, I drink a half a bottle of gin watching Trailer Park Boys and I don't say that to be funny but 
it, it all came back to Trailer Park Boys. It the just, irony. Yeah, yeah. Um, because their quality of life seemed pretty. I'm like, hey, I could do that, man. I could, I could do that. Um, and then, uh, you know, I made a decision. Like, like I, had, I couldn't find my, my keys to the van, my wife's van. So I grabbed my mother-in-law's. And I'm driving out to a bar, loaded, just beyond belief. And the, the bar is literally like a five-minute walk. And I'm going through the subdivision, and my wife texts me and texts me text me please just please come home I don't care what state you're just come home I'm like don't screw she has no idea what I'm going through and literally she doesn't at this point and I just like you don't know so I'm like fine I come home and I'm pissed and I'm drunk and I'm like this oh my god and I'm on it will kill my wife and I'm like just I'm sleeping on the couch screw this and then in, the next day she's like we really got to start talking about some stuff and I'm thinking like I know I'm drinking it's bad and over the next week, like, it's literally, she's, she's like, you don't realize where it is. Like, here's this line in the sand of your family and alcohol. So you, this is the point, you make a choice because we're staying here and living at my mom's. Mm. You, you can go home to the house, mm. figure it out. Um, mm. And even in that time, I went home, I'm like, I'm so messed up internally that drinking is the solution. And for some stupid reason, I decided to drink again. I'm, I can't stop this cycle. I don't know what's going on, even with this happening. So I spent a few days kind of trying to figure it out. And so we start talking again. I said, look, I, I'm getting help. <laughs> I'm getting out of this mess. I just, I can't do what I'm doing and I don't know how to fix it. And I just tell me what I got to do. And she's like, I can't give you a solution there. This is your path. You got to figure out you're making this decision of us or alcohol. So figure it out what you want to do and she's like i suggest you just check into a rehab we'll figure out finances whatever it is and i'm like and our finances are crap at this point and i'm like look i think a good place to start is aa that's i hear it works <laughs> so yeah, it, it's helped people so and i'm you know at this point i'm going in and i'm going to different meetings uh, on my own accord not talking and i'm like if this is what i got to do and this is the this the, the fine line of this is what I've got to do to keep my family. I'm doing what I got to do to keep my family, and that's that's where I want to be. So January starts coming, or January 27th is the you last know the day. day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, January. So it's because the next day I drank. So you know, two days after January 27th, or I'm sorry, December 27th. Um, you know, stop drinking. Going to meetings once a week. We do some marriage counseling, and it's in marriage counseling that I kind of like as I'm spilling my guts to you, like. I tell my wife what was going on. She's like, I had no idea. And I'm like, I expected you to know this. Like, I was hurting. I was, like, emotionally dis distraught. I just, and she's like, I had no idea that you were drinking that bad. And you're that mentally, you know, screwed up. And I'm like, yeah. And so that changed. So the, the counseling, like, I'm, I hate marriage counseling. It's a one-way ticket to divorce. And so the counseling works, and we get on track. Mm. AA works. Get on track. Mm -hmm. um, and so then, you know, about a month and a half, things are rolling, getting rid of the booze. I'm like, I'm <laughs> start scratching my head. What race can I do? I start looking to like, you know. So 45 days <laughs> into recovery, you're like, fuck, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I had to start thinking about what, what path, like what's the path? Where do we go? Um, and again, it's 
that collection of, okay, I still got to keep what's going on with my wife. AA is working, but it's not like when I, after I go there, my solution is to go to the gym and beat the crap out of myself because I'm, I want to drink once I go to AA. Like, I just hate what's going on. I don't, it's, and so we talk a little bit and I fall out of AA. She has this Bible study she does for six weeks. So six weeks without AA, still six weeks without alcohol. And like, how's it going? We're talking. I'm like, you know, I think I've, that's the solution. And it's not, maybe not the best solution, but is I got to plug something that I'm looking forward to. I can, when I train, I'm, you know, eat clean. I don't drink, focus on the family. I'm all there. So right now I'm going to look at my biggest race as my business. And that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to do full-time stand-up paddleboarding, make my business work. It's going to provide for us. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to build this community. And then that's been where everything's gone to. And now okay. I'm like, I'm all in and I'm back. And the old Shane is gone. The drinking pathetic excuse is done. You know, like it's, I can understand why it would be so deplorable to you because if you think about the contrast of you facing those haters the first time you're in the MR340 and everything that they had to say and you're like, that's fine. You can be that way and I'm just going to be Shane. I'm going to do my thing, right? Like, And I can understand why the, the falling into this pathetic kind of victim thing is so nauseating to you. Yeah. And... I imagine that made it hard to share it then because you found yourself so ashamed that you'd gotten to that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's in a, I don't know what, why I even, why I did it. So I've got a blog and I haven't been on the, haven't done it in a while, but all my adventures, I'll put, I'll post a blog of recount of what I've had. Here's pictures. And one day I'm sitting there and I'm on the computer and I'm like, I'm just going to write about what I'm going through. And I wrote a blog explaining exactly what I explained here everything I've you know the alcoholism the depression why last year 2015 was the worst year ever and why it ended up turning out to be the best year ever you know going through that crap was terrible um, but it led me to where I'm going now so it can't be all that terrible and I put it out there to the public and in a day and a half 1400 people had read it I was like holy shit I made a mistake I, I'm like <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't have put this out there because now people are going to see like right like who I really am like I'm sharing my soul with just strangers and people that are very close to me that had no idea this is going on. It's one thing to come clean to your family and friends, but now essentially the world, you're kind of like, I'm like, did I make the right decision? Did I not? Like, oh, and I, you know, I, I, I basically told him like, this is what happened. And like, this is what are the steps, this is what I've done to kind of work towards getting back to where I am. This is my focus. And I got so many emails and so many texts and so many phone calls and messages of people that, wow, I'm going through something right now. And that helped me to realize people are just human. We're all just human. Like, we, we fuck up. We make mistakes. We do things we're not supposed to do. Let's learn from them. Let's go forward. And so it, my bearing my soul became kind of an inspiration to people in the same sense of me paddling these crazy things. And it just changed places of, okay, this is kind of my path now is to help people. I'm not saying it as a therapist, but, like, I'm going to show people you can make changes in your life despite what you've done. Where you're going is not where you have to go. It's only if you want to go there. You can take any path you want. And mm-hmm. so I keep up with a lot of people that are going through stuff right now, and, and they're asking me, like, how do I do it? I'm like, I don't have a solution. It's just you got to have one stepping stone. you got to make that one step. Go outside your comfort zone. Don't be ashamed to tell people. Just tell one person. Start there.
That was where we left Shane about two years ago. And we asked him back in the studio to catch up. And unsurprisingly, there was more drama. Shane got himself out of the basement. He started training for another world record. This time, 24 hours in the ocean. Because for Shane, one world record is just not enough. So he orchestrates this distance between the Florida Keys. He reaches out to contacts, raises money, charters a captain. And then just a few days before he's set to leave for Florida, his truck is T-boned in an intersection. He displays his discs in his back. The world record thing, it's a no-go. But unlike his last injury, Shane decides to make a vacation out of the thing. He tours the keys on his paddleboard, spends a week just island hopping. Somewhere during that timeline, he received an email from a man in Springfield, Missouri. This man, TJ. He is over 400 pounds. He had read Shane's post about depression, alcoholism, and the trials he went through. And he sent Shane this very revealing message about his desire to get on a paddleboard. He'd never been able to. And at the time, TJ was in this bad place. He needed something to change drastically. His life, his livelihood, his business. They were all at stake. And it was a long email. Like, I didn't know him, he didn't know me. Uh, well, he kind of knew me. He kind of researched who I was. And uh, shot me an email just putting his everything out there and saying, hey, you know, I'm 400 pounds, just lost my mom. And he was tied in with her business selling blinds. So I lost my job. And, you know, I, I, I'm at this standstill in life. I don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing. Like, I, I don't want to be the next person that dies in my family. I'm heading that way. He's always been a bigger guy, but he's at his max, 400 pounds. And I'm like, that's a lot. Yes, mm-hmm. doesn't want to end up with another statistic. And he basically says, like, man, like I've kayaked, I've canoed, I've done all this stuff. Like, I just know if I could stand up on a stand-up paddleboard, I would commit to it and I would lose weight and I would get healthy. And so I kind of thought about it. I was like, what if I built you a board, custom board, oversized? Because everything he was stepping on, he was swamping and literally – 400 pounds, stepping on boards built for 250-pound max. So, all right, talk about that. I end up building my board, fully custom, oversized. And I come down, I say, all right, just paddle it, we'll work out the finances. How know, did you like, know how big to build this board? Redneck you're, engineering. It's all, it, you know, it really is like, well, I looked at just like add 30%. You kind of look at typical boards that are 11 foot long by 32 inches wide, you know, put about 250, 275-pound max on it. So I was like, all right, I'll build a 13-foot long board, 37 inches wide, and we'll just make it a big platform and a recessed deck to bring it a little bit lower to the water. And I kind of thought about all these things in a board that would work. And so built it all, like, custom, cool paint design, like, literally, I mean, like, trippy, crazy stuff. Um, brought it down, and he was like, holy. He thought he was just getting, like, you know, here's a whiteboard, go paddle it kind of thing. It's just yeah. crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and, yeah, and he committed, and because I, I, I kind of had a sense he had that in him. And so mm-hmm. – Committed, I worked with him on diet, kind of figured some stuff out, and paddled for a year mm-hmm. and lost 100 pounds. No. And, like, he yeah. just, like, I, I was shot. Change, I mean, even his family were like, oh, God, he, like, just change mm-hmm. everything. During the 2016 MR340, TJ travels to Washington, Missouri to meet up with Shane and his racing crew. Shane could tell that there was something in TJ that just really wanted in. He was itching to get out on the water. And so Shane, he laid down a big challenge. I said, here's the deal, man. If you really want to do this and you're going to commit and you're going to train, keep pursuing your health, I'll build a board that'll house you on it and I will get you down that route. I'll make sure, I'll, I'll tape you the board. I'll make sure you finish. 
And he's like, I'm in. You right know? And so he decided. Yeah. Yeah. And so so then it became about, all right, now i got to build a board that's yeah. going to fit, you know. Yeah. You know, six people. Well, TJ's really counting as two, you know. And so yeah. fast forward to 2017, I build a six-man paddleboard, double hull. So again, nothing that really existed. It's building off the previous year model of, okay, built this. Now, how can I make it faster and so better? So you, you could you built that four person one, and so like how can yeah. I? Yeah, so the four person one was a big, big one block. giant big long block, right? Yeah, yeah, it was like a jumbo pretty much. Yeah, fiberglass. Yeah, um, and then so now we're getting into my buddy Darren and I are building two hulls that are eighteen feet long each, that are you know super pointed in the front. They come back. It's like a catamaran basically. Okay. Super sleek, and then there's a kind of, we call it the, the catwalk that goes from hull to hull okay. and it arches up and over to allow for water to travel through, less okay. drag, faster in the water. So, uh, and I'm thinking about it. So TJ's a big guy, so I can't have six. So I, you know, the weight ratio works out where TJ at 300 pounds and me at like 160 equal the three other people on the right side. And, wow. and yeah. And so it comes together and the mentality was, let's go out and race this thing. Okay. Not like... And, just finish. Not finish, no. no. And so we all. badass. And yeah, right. let's do it. Because the other motivation was my previous year's board, I let someone borrow, and it was a, a three person team, two girls and a guy. And like, we got to beat them. You want to race your own yeah. board? Yeah. And, so, and prove that the new board's faster and better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, in and, and the beginning, that board was was kind of almost out of the race, barely making the first checkpoint. And we're like, I'm like, dang, man, I want these guys to get down. The, I want to see my creation make it a second time. Yeah. And so then it comes down to, like, they figure their stuff out, and now they're ahead of us, and then we're chasing uh-huh. them. And and it gets to a That's point. really fun. Yeah, and, but then it gets to a point, and I can see TJ's kind of breaking when I'm like, we're starting to push. We're now in mm-hmm. going into day two. It's a three-day race. You know, you're pushing constantly. And he's kind of he's, he's cracking. He's crumbling. And... And he, he comes out and he's like, he's like, I'm not a fucking racer. You're like, I know, I thought. And he's like, he, and he loses it. And it's it's normal reaction on this race. Yeah. And so we I say, everybody stop paddling. Like, let's. It's hot. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hot and he's yeah. miserable. And so for a guy that's, you know, double my weight, I'm a little bit hot. I can imagine him. He's cooking. You know, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. hasn't been on his feet this long. And so we all talk. So guys, what is our goal here? Do we want to blaze this thing through and do 60 hours? Or do we want to have fun and, and just finish this thing? Yeah. And then it became about fun. It became a party. Talk to me about what, what happened to TJ. What, what kind of reaction did he have? Um, it was a life-changing event for him, So and it's cool. So he, his dad has medical issues, has lost a leg to health. You know, health issues in his family kind of run pretty rampant. Okay. Um, his dad medically, you know, couldn't, I can't come out of the race. His dad meets him at the finish line. Oh, my God, we're, we're all crying. We're having waterworks. You know, it's, like, very emotional. And so, like, he's like, oh, my God. And then going forward after this race, like, people are like, dude, that's amazing. Like, people are coming up to him left and right, and it's not like the rest of us are, we were along for the ride. It was yeah, like the yeah. TJ show. They it were was like, the TJ show. Yeah. That is amazing. But, like, so we all kind of, the rest of us fade into the background, and TJ is kind of like, people are all like, dude, I can't believe you did this. Is you know, it elevates him. And so I'm getting his family are calling me and emailing saying, you have changed our family. You've changed everything. Like, we are healthier because of him. We're working towards a goal. And, like, I'm like, holy cow. And I don't look at it as me. It's like, this is TJ. Like, I just put a fire out there and said, I'm going to keep it under your ass and keep it lit. As much as the limelight was on TJ in that moment, something also happened to Shane. Up until that time, Shane's efforts have always been centered on his ability to do the seemingly impossible with his body. But now, it was something much bigger. And it happened as a result of him being human. He put himself out there in the world. 
Shane allowed for others to do the same. And that's more than just a healthful lifestyle or a temporary sort of fanciful athletic effort. The cascading effect of challenging TJ to finish the 340 is still being realized today. TJ is sent to launch his own paddleboarding business in Springfield, Show Me Sup. And he is specializing in providing a way for people who would not normally be able to paddle to get out on the water. He's taking what Shane has done and is creating a legacy for himself. Now, even though Shane says his cup is full, he's happy to give TJ the limelight, he's still, of course, plotting his next adventure. He's far from done. In reality, all that's required is for someone to tell him that something sounds like a bad idea. I think it was like last week, last Friday or whatever it was, and we, I just said, you know, I'm at this point that I feel like there's, I'm, I gotta do something more, like, I, I, it's itching, like I'm itching for something that takes me a year to plan, it takes me six to eight months to train, and I said, I wanna go down the Mississippi River faster than anyone has done on a stand-up paddleboard, I wanna do it in like 30 to 40 days. So people take like months to do this. When you say the Mississippi River, you mean so, the whole yeah, Mississippi Yeah, so Lake Itasca up in Minnesota, right. all the way down to New Orleans, like the entire thing. So I want to like push and hurt and make it, and of course build my own craft that I've kind of been working on a project. <laughs> um, it's insane, you know? And so that's like where, like, because I still want to do my thing. Yeah. And part of it is to get people to think outside the box of, so I'm building a paddleboard that has an outrigger. So the skinniest board I've ever been on is 23, 24 inches wide. Okay. So I made this board that's 14 inches wide. And it has a little connecting arm and it has a little outrigger arm okay. and a little float. So you can take your pack. You can take gear, gear. kind of stuff like yeah. that. And so it's that concept of people like, it can't work. It's not going to work. It's dumb. And so like, oh, okay. Well, let me see. It's just to get people to think a different way. Like It's basically wow. all anybody has to say for you to think that yeah, you need to I just, I just need a one... One no or one middle you finger. You need one or, or person something. like that's a bad idea, yeah. and you're like, that's the next thing that must happen. Yeah. All right, so let's review. There have been kidney transplants, emergency rooms, whole hordes of naysayers, and through all of that, Shane persevered. He had a vision of a world in which more people understood the value of stand up paddling. And he was willing to create new product innovations and brutalize himself. And then came the ultimate test, an alcohol-fueled depression that sent Shane into a lonely basement. But rather than that being his doom, this trial became the catalyst that made Shane more human and relatable. Here is a world record holder who laughs in the face of pain and darkness, and yet his biggest accomplishment as of late is creating a pathway for more people to experience the water the way he sees the water. To know the beauty of standing on a board and testing your mettle. Shane's drive, coupled with his ability to get transparent with his following, has created, if you'll pardon the pun, ripple effects in a world that stretches beyond paddling. He's transferred his desire to thumb his nose at the impossible. God only knows what's next. The point is this. Transformation is really, really hard. It's not likely you're going to do it alone or by gaming some system. And if you hope to innovate or transform something, even something as seemingly small as a project or maybe your career, Shane's story tells us that it will require all of us. It will require us to be more human. 
This has been More Human, a production of the Be Human Project. Editing and sound design by Khalees Walker, with art direction by Steph Sabo and Kess Arnold. It's hosted by me, Jeremy Newlick. We record and produce this thing at our studio at Big White Sky, a human business consultancy. To subscribe to More Human, search for More Human anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. And to learn more about the Be Human Project or if you dig anything you've heard so far, check out our website at behumanproject.net. And visit often. We love humans.